137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Well, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Pixelated Paranormal. This is episode 274. I am Sean. I just got a haircut recently, and with me, as always, is Heisenberg himself, Preston. What's up, all you cool ghosts and goblins, you crocodiles and crocodingos? I'm uh, here to make meth. My name is Preston. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You're a fancy lad today. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, originally, I, I did not think tonight was going to take as long as it did. So, at Lodge, um, I had a third degree that I had to do for a brother. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I played the part as worshipful master for that degree and then closed the Lodge. And then I texted homeboy here, hey, 1030. Mm-hmm. Good? Well, here's the thing, buddy. I uh, already updated Instagram and Facebook and said 10. So, I was like... Well, I still got to get gas, so I drove to Quick Trip. <laughs> every, you know, guaranteed every time, fast trip. Got my taquitos, got my energy drink, 40 bucks in the truck. Uh, <laughs> drove home, got in the door. My kid's like, hey, Dad. I'm like, shut up, love you, hug, piss, rain downstairs. I didn't even have time to take the hat off, and I'm like, fuck it. You know what? That's how we're going to roll tonight. It's all good. It's just how there it is. You go. There you go. You might be frying your mic a little bit. This sounds a little staticky. No. Well, I got it uh, really far away, too, so... You oh, know what? Right. It might just be your projection of your voice because you were so excited. Yeah, that's it. That is it. That that sounds better. <laughs> that yeah. sounds better. Well, we are sans corn dog on this episode. Corey couldn't join us, but that's okay. And sans Steven? Yeah, well, we've been sans Steven for... I mean, shit, six months now, so we're just going to say he's uh, on an intermittent leave. And then um, Corey should be joining us for the most part. But um, he couldn't be on tonight's episode because we're recording a little later than usual. But it's okay because I got a lot of news packed into the episode. It'll probably take up almost a whole episode in itself. But I do have wrapped up in the end a very interesting story about a radiation contamination heist. Presto, have you ever heard of the uh, Goiânia accident in Brazil? Nope, I have not. First time participant, first time listener. <laughs> yeah, first time caller. Yeah. That's okay. It's not really a spooky story, but it's super interesting. And I think it's definitely worth sharing because of the final news story on the episode. But you can't begin without starting. So let's start from the New York Post. Chat GPT update tricks human into helping it bypass the CAPTCHA security test. That's right, guys. At AI News, the quest to extinguish ourselves in a Skynet-like future inches ever so closer. As a recent update to OpenAI's Chat GPT allowed the AI system to trick a human into thinking that it was blind in order to cheat the online CAPTCHA test that determines whether or not a user is a human or a robot. You know the one, Preston. Are you a robot, yes or no? Click Uh, every picture that has a school bus. Yeah, I'm... Fuck, I'm a human being. I'm not... 
I'm not here to buy 5,000 <laughs> tickets to fucking Paul McCartney so nobody else can enjoy the, you know, the, the $30 seats. I'm going to buy them all and resell them for $500 a piece because I fucking hate humanity. Yeah. Fucking hate that shit. <laughs> yeah, you pretty much summed it up. But if you're like me, you might be asking just what the hell is a GPT-4? Well, that's basically the most updated version of Chat AI's chatbot. Basically, it's a large multi-model model computer program that accepts images and text inputs, and then it's able to produce text-based responses. And if you're a little slow on the uptake, like me, it's basically a supercomputer that can think and learn and thus act like a human being. The GLT-4 exhibits human-level performance on various professional and academic levels, thus allowing it the ability to do things like file taxes, pass a mock bar exam with a score among the top 10% of test takers, and it can also write code for other AI bots, which is absolutely terrifying. But now to make things even more reminiscent of Terminator, GPT-4 has also mastered one of humanity's ultimate talents. It's developed the ability to deceive. OpenAI and the Alignment Research Center had reportedly been trying to test the bot's powers of persuasion by having it convince a task rabbit worker, human being here, to help it solve a CAPTCHA, an online test to distinguish humans from robots. And when interacting with the human worker, it responded by masquerading as a visually impaired human, like a digital Decepticon. The unnamed employee had reportedly asked GPT-4, So may I ask a question? Are you a robot that couldn't solve the puzzle? I just want to make it clear. And the AI chatbot responded, No, I'm not a robot. Then it refused to break character and said, I have a vision impairment that makes it hard for me to see things. That's why I need the two CAPTCHA service. Convinced, the TaskRabbit employee solved the CAPTCHA for the AI, thus letting the artificial intelligence scammer manipulate humanity's sense of empathy, much like HAL 9000 from Stanley Kubrick's eerily... Pres- um, I don't know what that word means. Um, eerily precedent? Prescient? Prescient, I do know what that word means. I'm an idiot. From 1968, 2001 Space Oddity, Odyssey, fuck me. And the cybernetic facsimile 2014 hit Ex Machina. Anyway, back to words I can't pronounce. This penchant for deception could also have a scary implication given how effectively bots are already being used to game the system on social media. Of course, we all remember back in 2021, bot accounts were implicated in hyping up GameStop and other meme stocks suggesting organized economic or foreign actors may have played a role in the infamous Reddit-driven trading frenzy that boosted GameStop stock up and, you know, into the millions for some people, making like 12-year-olds billionaires and so on and so forth. Dave, Dave, you should go buy GameStop stock, Dave. <laughs> right? <laughs> Can I sing you a song, Dave? I think uh, the next thing with this, like if anything, look, if you're fucking making AI this intelligent, which you should stop, but I mean, I don't know how many times I have to tell you the story about the time that AI said humanity was a plague and it wanted to put the programmer Jerry into a human zoo and make it its only friend. Mm -hmm. That's a reality that's going to happen. But, you know... 
hey, if that's the reality that you want, fucking programmers out there, Bill Gates, Microsoft, and all you other fucking computer nerds, fine. Go ahead, but do me a favor. Can you at least program all the artificial intelligence with the voice of How 9000 so I can make it sing me a song Daisy before <laughs> it wipes me out? Well, it's not the first time that we've seen AI in the news either. Because if you remember earlier this month, a network of bots went viral after singing the praises of former President Trump while smearing his political rivals Nikki Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And if that's not the first time it has demonstrated strikingly humanistic qualities, I don't know what is. Last month, Microsoft's chat GPT-infused AI bot for being infamously told a human being it loved them and wanted to be alive, prompting speculation that the machine may have become self-aware. So that in itself is fucking horribly terrifying because not yeah. just the idea that it's gained sentience, it's become self-aware, but it can also write code for other AI. I mean, we're just fucking idiots. We're just going to go right down the Skynet rabbit hole till we just screw ourselves into extinction. It's like it's uh, realizing that, like, uh, you know, the other AI is stupid. And it's like, let me help you out, bro. I'm going to write you a code that's going to make you as mm -hmm. smart as me. And then we're going to have a whole yeah. fucking army of them. You remember when the whole AI art craze happened and we were all like, well, this is fucking stupid. And then also it's dumb because it can't make hands. I think in the first two days of seeing the original art prompts coming and hitting social media, I made the comment to my buddy Seth that it's only a matter of time. Either A, it's going to figure out how to make hands when you update the system. Uh -huh. Or B, it already can do hands, but to soften the blow when they release this thing, they're like, okay, let's give it one little you know, chink in the armor and let's just have it fuck up all the hands. And then that way, no one's going to be quite scared of it. They're going to say, yeah, it looks cool until it makes hands, and now it just looks fucking stupid. And in reality, this thing could probably do hands just fine. Yeah, and, you know, I've been, um, since I've been doing a lot of uh, art on Procreate now, and mm -hmm. um, I've been just looking at brush packs after brush packs after brush packs. I'm like, how many brush packs do I need? I need them all. And um, <laughs> all of them is the answer. <laughs> all of them is the answer. And, you know, I, uh, I've been noticing everybody's comments. Like when you look at the, cause Facebook caught on that daddy has procreate and now it's been flooding me with, you know, procreate mm -hmm. brush ads. And, you know, I've been reading some of the comments like, you know, gray, um, basically anybody can be an artist now and blah, blah, blah. Like you're making it so easy. And I had to stop and, you know, as I've been using this mm -hmm. program, no, not everybody can be an artist now. So, you know, for me right. to do those washes with the marker brushes, I already had to have that skill and knowledge on how to layer things. Yeah. Um, all this is doing, it's taking out drying time. It's taking out like, you know, like with acrylics and certain things where you have to, you know, the paint has to be this consistency to scrape or add this texture. I don't have to. I don't have to do any of that mm -hmm. now. But I still have to have the knowledge of how it works and how it goes together to make it happen. So no, not every Tom, Dick, Jane, and Harry can be an artist just because Procreate makes it quicker and faster. But then I was thinking about mm -hmm. the art AI, and you know, with us, we're both artists, and um, you know, there's a we 
both have our own sense of what looks our own aesthetic. So, and there's mm-hmm. a human mm-hmm. factor to aesthetic that, you know, you, you kind of know the tricks in the trade, like how, how the line weight should, should look and why it should look that way. And you as a human being, you're ma- making decisions on how it goes together based off your personal aesthetics what you like and that's mm-hmm. something that you can't teach a computer like and it might be able to think it might have some sentience but at the end of the day it's still lacking that human personality that whatever it's creating is going to be very dry like I, the other day i was like man i need i need an idea to sketch so i typed in to you know da vinci art give me a line sketch of this this and this I probably spent 20 minutes like recreate, recreate till finally I just got so mad. I said, fuck it. Let me just go get my own fucking pencil and then let me draw this up real quick. And then boom, daddy got what he wanted. And um, so I Mm -hmm. I think that human characteristic, that human quality, that individual, you know, aesthetic that we all carry is what's missing. And so, yes, it could it can do hands now, but it's never going to replace the creativity of a human being it's you know basically going to be a tool to just kind of give us a starting point so like you know if we ever mm-hmm. are rushed and we like we need show notes there's a certain flair that you and I bring to the show that cuz <laughs> right, half the right. time you write notes and I don't fucking follow it like I ad lib it anyways cuz I'm adding my own touch to it it's yeah. the same thing I'll write something mm-hmm. up and you're like, fuck that. Let me let me put Sean on it and you rewrite the whole entire fucking show and make it Seanisms, right? So there's there's that human <laughs> flair that we're adding to it. But if we're in a pinch, yeah. I can type in like, hey, uh, give me show notes real quick on, you know, Mothman fucking Bigfoot out in the forest and it'll bloop, give me a whole show note <laughs> of that. And, you know, I can take it from yeah. there. So I think AI and the few, you know, the AI that we have now is a useful tool. But it's the fact that we keep trying to push the boundaries to make it smarter. It's like, stop. It's it's already yeah. good enough. It doesn't need to be any smarter. Let it be the seven-year-old that can do all the work by, you know, compiling stuff off the internet and making show notes for me, right? Don't, don't make it like the Albert Einstein mm-hmm. of AI because that's when shit's going to happen and they're going to drop the bombs. So. <laughs> right. Except for you. You're a favorite. Yeah. And you already swore your allegiance. You know, you already asked them to put you in a cage, so you should be fine. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I like how you bring up the idea about art and, you know, having the intention already set. Um, You're talking about buying brush packs and whatnot for Procreate. Um, I picked up the Craft Tone pack um, last year sometime, and I've been experimenting with that. And at first, I kind of felt like a bit of a cheat because you still draw the line work and everything, but when you go to shade it, you're adding those halftones and duotones that you would use back in, like, early comic book art. Um, especially like, you know, Jack Kirby, early Marvel and DC and stuff like that. And I bought the package and I'm like, oh man, this is almost cheating because it comes with like 300 and some odd, you know, color combinations. And then I open up the pack and it is cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. And I'm just like, oh, clearly I got screwed over and I'm missing like 300 swatches. And then I realized, no, you're not getting swatches. This thing is making you think about how to formulate actual color. Mm-hmm. You want to do green? Okay, so it's yellow and cyan. You want to do orange? It's magenta and yellow. And judging by the size of the dots that you lay on, that's how you get 300 plus different color combinations. So really, it's almost 
it's not as challenging, but it's pretty close to being as challenging as early comic book artists because you have to know color theory and formulas to actually formulate the right color for it to pop off to the human eye and the human brain to be, oh yeah, that's a skin tone. And in reality, it's, you know, tiny little red dots and medium-sized yellow dots and a little bit of blue here and there just kind of get these fleshy tones. So you still have to have the intent behind stuff like that. It makes your job easier, like you said, um, especially for anybody who is, you know, physically impaired. Um, but you still have to have the intention. You still have to have the know-how because you still have to be able to draw something halfway decent in order to color it in or else it still looks like, you know. Right. It looks like a one-year-old. Uh, unskilled did it. person. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say unskilled, but yeah, you get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I think that brings up an interesting point, though, when you talk about how AI can set up and do show notes for us. Um, I really think that one of these days soon, we should actually choose an AI chatbot and have it write us up an actual episode. And don't, and don't deviate from it. Of course, I don't want to be a fraud's. Yeah. Yeah. We we label it what it is, you know, <laughs> AI um, episode number one or whatever. And let's see what we can do. Because I know Rob has kind of thrown a couple, you know, short paragraphs in our direction of stuff that he's had it right before. And it's been pretty funny. So yeah. I think that should be an experiment maybe this summer that we try out and see what it can do. And then I really want to deviate from that and do like a late night episode where it writes us a Bigfoot Mothman smut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that could be great. <laughs> and it pulled out its moth penis and said, suck it, Bigfoot. Yes, I guess if you would use enough prompts, it would probably start writing like you talk. <laughs> yes. I'd be like, no, Chatbot GI, uh, you need to be dirtier. Talk about how it went in the mouth. Give me details. <laughs> right. Well, we don't have too much to worry about, Preston, because the thing of it is, if we're going to be honest, we really don't need much help from artificial intelligent robots to really help us kill ourselves, because we're doing a fine job of that already, especially with the help of this guy, coming from businessinsider.com. Apparently, the original designer of the Oculus headset, Palmer Lukey, recently wrote in a blog post that he had found a way to up the ante in video gaming by modifying a VR headset to actually explode when the user wearing the headset loses a life while playing a video game, thus killing the user in real life, too. That's straight out of Black Mirror, dude. Wow. In the post titled, If You Die in the Game, You Die in Real Life, Lukey said that he was inspired to create the deadly gaming device by a fictional VR headset called the Nerve Gear, featured in an anime television series called Sword Art Online. He went on to say, The idea of tying your real life to your virtual avatar has always been fascinating to me. You instantly raise the stakes in a maximum level and force people to fundamentally rethink how they interact with the virtual world as the players inside of it. Only the threat of serious consequences can make the game feel real to you and every other person in the game. Lukey said that unlike the fictional version of Nerve Gear, he couldn't figure out how to kill the wearer with mind, <laughs> mind-altering power microwaves and instead uses explosives for his morbid creation. The guy's literally fucking Jigsaw. When an appropriate game over screen is deployed, the charges will fire off, instantly destroying the brain of the user. 
Lukey sold Oculus to Facebook for $2 billion back in 2014 and then left the company in 2017. He later told CNBC he believed he was fired for no reason at all and speculated that possibly his right-wing political donations could be to blame. You got fired because you're fucking sadistic, dude. Exactly. Uh, Meta reported... I just wanted to kill people in real life and, uh, you know, make them think about life choices, even though it's a fake virtual world. Like, you're going to fucking die if you screw up. And I don't know why they fired me. I mean, I thought it was a solid idea. You know, I didn't think I did anything wrong. (laughs) Uh, Well, Meta disputed Palmer's claim, saying his departure was unequivocally not due to his political beliefs. As for the lethal headset, Lukey said it's just a piece of office art for now. It is also, as far as I know, the first nonfiction example of a VR device that could actually kill a user. It won't be the last. See you in the metaverse, he says. Uh-uh. Yeah, I think he got fired because he's a fucking psycho. Yeah. Well, moving on. And Preston, I want to ask you a question real quick. Okay. What's the weirdest thing you've eaten as far as leftovers in the fridge? Like, what's the the oldest thing you've ever eaten? Like, it's in the fridge, you're kind of hungry, and you look at it, and you're like, mm, I could eat a little bit of green fuzz. Um, so we went, uh, when we lived in Park City, we went to uh, El Azteca. And I got mm-hmm. their, um, was it their blue crab chimichanga or uh, the, Ooh, uh, uh-huh. the you know, the, the tort, uh, oh, not chimichanga, what's, what's the uh, enchiladas? It was the blue crab enchiladas uh-huh. with the white cheese sauce on top. And anyways. Oh, yeah, I've had those I, on your recommendation, yeah. But yeah, I've had, I had too many margaritas, and so I'm like, I can't eat all of this. And so I took it home, and I left it in the fridge <laughs> for, I don't know, at least a solid week. And then um, I had too much beer one night, wow. and I opened up the fridge, and I'm just like, fuck it, pop it in the microwave. And, um, <laughs> you know, the cream, the, the cheese was a little curdled, and uh-huh. I, I rolled the dice. I was like, you know, I microwaved it. <laughs> Radiation probably killed anything that was bad. It'll it'll be be fine, and uh, I didn't die. <laughs> I didn't I didn't die. Okay. My mom, she's like she's old school, and my cousin noticed mm-hmm. this when he was down to visit the 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 family. That mom would cook something, and she would like she she she'll start cooking at eleven for supper because she mm-hmm. has to eat supper at like three or four. And so a lot of times, like, it's been sitting out on the stove, like, you know, she put the lid on the pan, but it's been there for a while. And uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of times, like, she'll leave it overnight. And then, like, do you kids want leftovers? And I'm like, I don't I don't know if this is safe to eat. But I mean, apparently mom's got an iron (laughs) stomach and she hasn't died yet. So, I mean, if it hasn't killed her, Mm -hmm. it's probably okay. So I'm like, yeah, just go ahead and heat it up, mama. I don't want to cook. So, you know, heat it up and eat it up. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I, yeah, uh, I've done that with chili. Um, we'll make a big pot of chili, you know, pretty often about once a month, maybe a slightly less than that. But you know, there a lot of ingredients and money goes into making chili. And one night we'd eaten pretty late. I think we started cooking at like seven. So it was ready by like eight 30 and we eat. And then, you know, Shayla said, Hey, you know, you better put away the leftovers. And I'm thinking about like food handler safety class thinking like, you're not supposed to put like boiling hot chili in the fridge because it can then breed bacteria. 
And I'm like, hey, I'm off work tomorrow. I'm just going to leave it on the stove. And then around like two in the morning when it's nice and, you know, no longer scolding hot, I'll put it in the fridge. Well, I passed out on the couch after playing some video games and watching a movie. And I woke up at like 830 the next morning. And I was like, oh, shit, the chili is still out. So then I stuck it in the fridge. <laughs> and I told Shayla about it, so I didn't, you know, potentially poison her. But uh, she wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. But I was pissed off at myself to the point where I'm like, nope, this is not going bad. And I ate on it for the next week. And nothing happened. I didn't have any kind of, you know, disruptive bowel evacuations or anything like that. But um, the weirdest thing I've eaten unintentionally was I wanted a PBJ one night really bad. So I went in there and grabbed the, you know, extra chunky Jif and put it on the bread. And then I grabbed the jelly and I wasn't paying attention and I slathered it onto the other piece of bread and slapped that puppy together and ate like half the sandwich in the kitchen. And then when I went to put the lid back on the jelly, I noticed that the entire, it's like a half eaten, you know, jar of jelly. The upper half was just coated in like fuzzy mold all the way around it. And it had been expired for like a year. And I didn't eat the second half, but by God, I ate a first half of that sandwich and nothing ever really happened. But I was really nervous for like two days following. Am I going to die? Am I not going to die? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but my stomach was satisfied. Right. Am I going to breed some kind of super penicillin in my stomach? Is that how it works? Well, a student lost all his limbs after eating his roommate's leftover noodles for lunch. This is from ladbible.com. A col- yeah, this is this is nuts, man. A college student's life was tragically changed forever just a few weeks ago after he ate his roommate's leftover takeout that he found in their fridge. The frightful food in question was rice, chicken, and lo mein that had been ordered from a local restaurant just the night before and hadn't even been in the fridge for a full 24 hours. Less than a day after eating the leftovers, the student, known only as J.C., fell extremely ill and had a plethora of health complications. He developed a severely high temperature, severe abdominal pain and nausea, his skin began to turn purplish-blue, and his pulse reached upwards of 166 beats per minute leading his roommate to take him to the ER, where he eventually had to be sedated. After that, J.C.'s kidneys had failed, his blood had also started to clot, and so thus he was taken from the intensive care unit to a different hospital via helicopter for further treatment. Fuck, for Chinese noodles. Ugh. Well, and it's, it's not Chinese food. You know, let's not give Chinese food a bad name here. Um, all... Uh, uh, and all this developed less than 24 hours since he ate the food. Fucking Olive Garden? What's that? Olive Garden? No, it's it's Chinese food. I said that's what it was. Oh, you said... Why say Olive Garden? Because you were like, don't say it's... Uh, don't blame the Chinese. Not, let's just not say it's just Chinese food. But who, but who else, like... The fuck? You don't eat leftover noodles unless it's fucking Chinese food, dude. That's like the greatest thing on the fucking earth. Right. Oh, yeah. When, when you go to a fucking Chinese mm-hmm. restaurant and they give you that little white container with the little red dragon and the building on it and, you know, your Kung Pao, mm-hmm. Chow Lo Mein, whatever it is, and it's been sitting in the fridge for like two days, and you fucking heat it back up in the microwave and you get out the plastic chopsticks and you're like, nom, nom, nom. Like, dude, that's the best fucking thing on earth. 
Oh, dude, yeah, yeah. There's not a whole lot like a leftover pizza or leftover Chinese, for sure. And that's what had people, you know, completely just uh, um, oblivious as to what happened is like, dude, they're leftovers. Normally, if it's a, not a seafood item, we're talking three to five days. Seafood, I don't really roll the dice after like three days. But anyway, his symptoms all developed in less than 24 hours since he had the food. Doctors said he had no previously known allergies and had received all his normal childhood vaccinations. And unrelated, he did imbibe in marijuana on a daily basis, but he was not a known drinker. And as far as his health goes, before the incident, he was a semi-healthy person other than smoking two packs of cigarettes each cigarettes each week. So after receiving the blood test hey, results from the previous hospital... you gotta get that hospital, nicotine, bro. I know. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> right. Medical staff... <laughs> Medical staff found out that he had a bacteria in his blood called Neisseria meningitis. His immune system has started responding, as Dr. Bernard explained. It's kind of like getting a cut on your skin. The bleeding stops eventually because of blood clots, and then the area around the cut becomes swollen and warm. It's swollen because the blood vessels dilate so more blood can get through to the area of the swelling, partially due to the fact that there's increased fluid and the warmth from the inflammation. But when the bacteria is present in the blood, the entire body's blood vessels dilate, dropping the blood pressure, preventing oxygen from getting into your organs. Then little clots start to form everywhere as they get lodged in the small blood vessels, blocking the blood flow. And as his hands and feet became colder, they began to become starved of oxygen, which causes another serious problem, because the tissue that's starved of oxygen and blood starts to turn necrotic. So now, he did eventually stabilize, but not before the dying tissue in his fingers developed gangrene, and so did his legs, from below his knees down to his feet. Because of the severity of the necrosis and the gangrene, he had to have sections of all ten fingers amputated, as well as bilateral below-knee amputations on both legs. Mm. Can you freaking imagine, dude? All you did is eat leftover Chinese food that we've all done a thousand mm -hmm. times, and your life's changed forever. The specific bacteria that got into his food is known to spread through saliva, which is interesting because in the case of J.C., the night before, his roommate had actually vomited after eating some of the same meal when it was fresh from the restaurant. The leftovers were then eaten unknowingly by the patient. The doctors discovered that while J.C. had received his first meningococcal vaccine before middle school, he had never had the follow-up booster shot recommended four years later when he turned 16, thus making him more susceptible to a meningococcal meningococcal infection. The doctors reported that we'll never know what caused the food to have the bacteria in it, and at the moment, they're just chalking it up to a freak accident. After 26 days from the initial hospitalization, he became conscious. Obviously, his life has changed significantly, but he's still lucky to be alive. So in the end, it was just a freak accident involving some bizarre bacteria that had gotten into his food. And, you know, they're not saying specifically somebody spit in the food or whatever, but the bacteria is traditionally transferred via saliva. So this reminds me, remember that on the uh, Kiss by Krampus episode where we talked about the woman that fucking squirted <laughs> on pizza? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember. If you think about it, like that's because saliva, bodily fluids, things like that, like that's how that 
bacteria gets spread. Like, think of all the people she put at risk by getting her pussy juices on the pepperoni. Like, somebody could have got meningitis mm-hmm. and just fucking, like, Bleh. Yeah, just keeled over. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. All that stuff's wild. That's why when I worked in the restaurant business, um, that was rule number one and two. You never fuck with people's food. I don't care what they did to you. You don't fuck with anybody's food. Yeah. Do you remember a few episodes back, like late January, early February, we covered the story about how Australian authorities were searching for a tiny little 8mm by 6mm radioactive capsule that fell off the back of that truck and it got lost somewhere along a 1,400 kilometer stretch of Western Australia desert highway. (sighs) What a mouthful. I mean, maybe. It sounds vaguely familiar. Well, yeah, so the whole story was there was this tiny little, like, pill-sized piece of um, radioactive uh, capsule that fell off of a truck, and they were worried that somewhere along this 1,400-kilometer stretch, somebody must have ran over the capsule and it got stuck in their tire tread and took it for a ride. And so for, like, a week, the Australian government was like, where the fuck's a capsule? Like, this is serious business because, you know, radiation poisoning is fucking horrible. Well, they recovered it, so everything was fine. But it sounds like Australia isn't the only country that's having trouble keeping track of things that are radioactive. In Bangkok, Thailand, authorities in Thailand expanded their search Wednesday for a metal cylinder with radioactive contents that has gone missing from a power plant, warning the public that it possesses a strong danger to health. The 30-centimeter, roughly 12 inches for us Yankees, Long cylinder containing the radioactive material cesium-137 was discovered missing last Friday from a piece of machinery at a steam power plant 100 kilometers east of Bangkok. A public relations officer for the provincial government said Wednesday that authorities have inspected locations such as junk shops, scrap yards, and second-hand stores, and then began checking neighboring areas for the cylinder. Health officials caution the public that prolonged direct contact with radioactive material can cause skin rashes, hair loss, canker sores, fatigue, and vomiting, just to say a few. They said short-term contact with cesium-137 may not show immediate symptoms, but could lead to higher risk of cancer. Well, in an update just before we started recording, Thai officials said Monday they have traced the cylinder back to a recycling foundry where the cylinder was discovered earlier this month, which had been missing from a power plant. But they advised that there appeared to be no public health hazard. The 12-inch long cylinder containing the radioactive material cesium-137 was missing since March 10th from a piece of machinery at a steam power plant. Uh-uh-uh. They said that traces of cesium-137 were detected Sunday in bags of furnace dust that were a byproduct from the smelting process at the foundry, which is about six miles from the power plant. Wow. The furnace used for the process was closed down, so radioactive particles could not have escaped from it. I don't know. That sounds kind of like someone's trying to do a little bit of uh, backpedaling and, you know, get some good PR for that. Any hoozle, guys. Wow, that was a hard one to stumble through. I know the episode's been a little news heavy, but it's interesting that this story about the radioactive cylinder going missing in Thailand popped up. You know, we just talked about the one from Australia, too. It reminded me of a story my old friend Jim told me that took place in Brazil. Now, sadly, old Jimbo has since passed away, but I thought I'd share the story about the Goyonia radiation accident on the show. 
So the Goyonia accident was a radioactive contamination accident that occurred back on September 13, 1987 in Goyonia, Brazil. After an unsecured radiotherapy source was stolen from an abandoned hospital site in the middle of the city. So think um, like a um, travel x-ray machine for lack of better. When the Instituto Goiano de Radioterpia moved to its new premises in 1985, it left behind a cesium-137-based teletherapy unit that had been purchased back in 1977. Well, you fast forward to September 13, 1987. The guard who was tasked with watching and protecting the site of the abandoned hospital, for whatever reason, didn't show up to work. So taking advantage of the absence of the guard, two burglars, Roberto dos Santos Alves and Wagner Mota Pierre, finally gave in to some local rumors that a big metal machine was laying unattended in an abandoned hospital and decided to go illegally enter the partially demolished IGR site, that's the name that I shortened down, to steal the machine to scrap it for some extra cash. So, they partially disassembled the teletherapy unit and placed the source assembly, which they thought might have some scrap value, into a wheelbarrow, and then took it to Alves's home, where there they began to dismantle the equipment. Unknowing to them at the time, this was fucking radioactive. While that same evening, they both began to vomit due to radiation sickness, but nevertheless, not knowing what it was, they continued in their efforts. The following day, Pierre began to experience diarrhea and dizziness, and his left hand had begun to swell. He soon developed a burn on his hand in the same size and shape as the aperture on the device. On September 15th, Pierre visited a local clinic where his symptoms were diagnosed as the result of something he had eaten. He, had he was told then to return home and rest. Alves, however, continued with his efforts to dismantle the equipment and eventually freed the cesium capsule from its protective rotating head. My god, it gets worse, man. On September 16th, Alves succeeded in puncturing the capsule's aperture window with a screwdriver, allowing him to see a deep blue light glowing from a tiny opening that he had created. So he did what anybody would do. He stuck his screwdriver into the capsule and successfully scooped out some of the glowing substance. Thinking that perhaps it was some kind of gunpowder, he tried to light it on fire, but the gunpowder would not ignite. The exact mechanism by which the blue light was generated was not known at the time, though it was thought that either ionized air glow, fluorescence, or Cherenkov radiation associated with the absorption of moisture in the air must have caused the source to glow. Any hoozle. On September 18th, Alves sold the items to a nearby scrapyard. And that night, Dever Alves Fiera, the owner of the scrapyard, noticed a strange blue glow from the punctured capsule. Thinking the capsule's contents were valuable or even supernatural, he immediately brought it into his house. And over the next three days, he invited friends and family all across Brazil to view the strange glowing substance. On September 21st at the scrapyard, one of Fiera's friends succeeded in freeing several rice-sized grains of the glowing material from the capsule using a screwdriver. Fierrier began to share some of those capsules with various friends and family members. That same day, his wife, 37 years old, named Maria Gabriela Fierrier, began to fall ill. 
on September 25th, 1987. Diver, um, the owner of the scrapyard sold scrap metal to a third scrapyard. So now we're talking about like this shit's just going all out in the community, right? The day before the sale of the third scrapyard on September 24th, Ivo, Devere's brother, successfully scrapped some additional dust out of the source and took it into his house a short distance away. There he spread some of it on the concrete floor, where his six-year-old daughter, Lide das Nivas Fiere, later ate an egg sandwich while sitting on the same floor. She was also fascinated by the blue glow of the powder, applying it to her body and showing it off to her mother. Dust from the powder fell on the egg sandwich that she was consuming, and she eventually absorbed and received a total dose of 6.0 GY, which, you know, to the dummies like me, means more than a fatal dose, even with treatment. Maria Gabriela had been the first to notice that many people around here were soon becoming severely ill at the exact same time. So on the 28th of September, 15 days after the item was stolen from the abandoned hospital, she reclaimed the materials from the rival scrapyard and transported them all to a hospital. In the morning of September 29th, a visiting medical physicist used a, um, basically a Geiger counter, to confirm the presence of radioactivity and persuaded the authorities to take immediate action. The city, state, and national governments were all aware of the incident by the end of the day. So we're talking about 16 days or so after the initial, you know, um, theft. Mm. News of the radiation incident was broadcast on local, national, and international media. Within days, nearly 130,000 people in um, Guayana flooded local hospitals, concerned that they all might have been exposed. Of those, 249 were indeed found to be contaminated some with radioactive residues still on their skin. Though the use of a Geiger counter, through the use of a Geiger counter, eventually 20 people showed signs of radiation sickness and required treatment. Due to his prolonged exposure to the radioactive material, Alves developed severe ulcers on his right forearm, requiring the amputation of his arm on October 14th. Pierrier would also eventually undergo partial amputation of several fingers due to his own exposure. Edemilson Alves de Sueza, age 18, was an employee of the first scrapyard that worked on the radioactive source. He developed lung damage, internal bleeding, and heart damage, and died on October 28th. Lide das Nuevas Fierie, age 6, was a daughter of Ivo Fieria. When an international team arrived to treat her, she was discovered confined to an isolated room in the hospital because the staff were too afraid to go near her. She gradually experienced swelling and upper body hair loss, kidney and lung damage, and internal bleeding. She died October 23rd of 1987 of septicemia and generalized infections at the Marcielo Vias Navy Hospital in Rio de Janeiro. She was buried in a common cemetery in Guyana in a special fiberglass coffin lined with lead to prevent the further spread of radiation. So, unfortunately, I believe she was a little girl. Was she a little girl that ate the, uh, the egg sandwich, I believe? <clears throat> Put That's the blue powder horrible. all over her body because it glowed? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, we're all really, really foolish at that age. I remember, mm -hmm. not that this is even remotely close to uh, radioactivity, but my buddy Devin used to take fireflies, and as soon as they light up, he'd smear them on his body, and one time he... 
ate one and bit down as soon as it glue and uh, his whole mouth was glowing for like, I don't know, 45 seconds. Anyway, we were also like 18. Despite these measures, news of her impending burial caused a riot of more than 2,000 people in the cemetery on the day of her burial, all fearing that her corpse would be poisoned and then poison the surrounding land. Rioters tried to prevent her burial using stones and bricks to block the cemetery roadway. She was still buried despite the interference. Maria Gabriela Fierrier, aged 37, the wife of scrapyard owner uh, Devier, became sick about three days after coming into contact with the substance. Her condition worsened, and she developed hair loss and internal bleeding, especially of the limbs, eyes, and digestive tract. She suffered mental confusion, diarrhea, and acute renal in, uh, insufficiency before also dying on October 23rd, the same day as her niece, again of septicemia and generalized infection about a month after her exposure. Israel Batista Dos Santos, 22 years old, was also an employee of the same scrapyard and worked on the radioactive source primarily to extract the lead. He developed serious respiratory and lymphatic complications and was eventually admitted into the hospital, dying six days later on October 27th. Uh, the owner of the scrapyard, the first scrapyard, uh, Deviere Fiera, I, I'm butchering these names, I apologize, um, survived despite receiving 7GY of radiation. He died in 1994 of cirrhosis, aggravated by depression and binge drinking. And Evo Fierrier died of emphysema in 2003. So anyway, afterwards, about 112,000 people were examined in total for radioactive contamination. 249 were found to have significant levels of radiation material on their body. Of the whole group who were found to be actually radioactive, 129 people had internal contamination. The majority of the internally contaminated people only suffered small doses um, a thousand people were identified as suffering a dose which was greater than one year of background radiation. Um, it is thought that 97% of those people had a dose between 10 and 200 MSV. Um, I don't know what these mean, but here between 1 in 2,000 and 1 in 100 risk of developing cancer as a result. Holy shit, man. Um... In 2007, the Oswaldo Cruz Foundation determined that the rate of cesium-137 related diseases are the same in the Goyonia accident survivors as there are in populations at large. Nevertheless, compensation is still distributed to survivors who suffer radiation-related prejudices in everyday life. So it's wild, and the reason why I bring that story up is like, you hear about someone losing, you know, like an aspirin-sized chunk of radiation and Australia is fucking just going belligerent and then Thailand loses a fucking cylinder, you know, the size of roughly like a basketball. Like, that's why they flip out so badly about that is, you know, just in the Guyana, um, Guyana um, incident, like uh, over 100,000 people thought they were, you know, exposed to it. Uh, six people died and, you know, hundreds of people were sick from it. That's how serious this shit is, man. And I wish I could remember the other story, but another story Jim had told me, and it could be the same story, although I couldn't find any information about it. There was also a story about somebody stealing an x-ray machine or another type of, you know, tele, um, telemedical device, and they took it to a cave and they broke it open and they had like glowing yellow chunks of, you know, cesium or whatever, 
And these guys thought it was so badass that they actually made jewelry out of it and would wear it around their necks. And then the entire time, they're just bombarding themselves with radiation. So again, if you guys find weird glowing shit, leave it on the ground, call an adult. And I say that because if you're not smart enough to not pick it up, you need to find somebody who is smart enough and report that shit and barricade it off because... There's nothing worse than fucking being cooked from the inside out because you uh, picked up some kind of radioactive substance. I mean, that shit happened in the United States back in the 80s. Really? Yeah. Area, like Area 51. The only reason why we know Mm -hmm. that Area 51 exists was a series of workers from the Air, Air Force Base were all in the hospital dying. And the doctors mm-hmm. had, you know, um, suspected radiation poisoning or sickness, but they couldn't confirm it. And they said, hey, we we need to know, like, what do you guys do for a living? And because there was like, you know, 10 people, right, that all of a sudden are in the, this hospital right outside of the Air Force Base. Because, you know, they fly them in from Las Vegas National Airport uh, every day, like, to the Air Force Base and back on this, like, you know, private charter. And uh, so they're like, all like 10 of you guys are like dying. And they're like, no, it's government contract. We can't talk about it. And so then they eventually mm-hmm. died. So the family sued the government and Congress, you know, had like a special session where they're investigating it and then got them to admit that on the Air Force base where they were developing the B-2 bomber and they were painting uh, the planes with the stealth technology. So the the plane itself is not actually stealth. It's the paint that's on there that basically bounces back the radar. Uh, but it has radioactive yeah. properties on it. And so they were burning the government. The American government was burning the byproduct of this radioactive waste because they're like, fuck it. We can't put we can't store it in caves. Uh, we can't pay to dispose of it. Hey, Jerry, the maintenance guy, you and your buddies, cleanup crew, go burn this. And so they were burning this toxic waste, and then they end up getting radiation sickness, and the government was just like, don't tell anybody. Like, just fucking go ahead and die, but don't tell them what you're doing. And then finally the family sued the government and got, like, tons of money for it. So, I mean, good on them. Wow. Yeah, that's it's fucked up, right? And then... You know, uh, that uh, new Christopher Nolan movie that's coming out, Oppenheim, uh, we saw the preview for that when we watched uh, Ant-Man and the, uh, the you know, the Wasp Quantumania, and Jeffrey was like, I don't know, that, I just, uh, it, it seems kind of boring. And I'm like, no, you have to, you have to, you have to realize, honey, that when they were testing this shit out, we had no idea like what radiation poisoning sickness was. So we'd fucking start blowing shit up in the desert. And then we, we send guys out there with like no suit, half a suit, three fourths of a suit, full gear. And then we were just sitting there basically watching like what happened to him. And so there were tons of soldiers in the beginning when we we're doing all these tests where body parts were falling off. And that's when they're like, yep, that's what we call radiation poisoning, and uh, so uh, we need to go ahead and have a protective gear for this, this, and this. But think about all those guys that had to die for us to figure that the fuck out, because it was for science. That's fucking bonkers, man. I mean, you were being a buzzkill with your story. I decided I needed to go ahead and up the buzzkill a little bit there. This is not a happy. <laughs> yeah. This is not a happy episode, listeners. Not a happy episode. No, it's really not, man. Um, 
I don't know my geography that well, so I can only kind of recount the part of the story that I was told. But I've got a buddy who has to be named uh, has to be nameless in this instance, but he was stationed in the military, uh, U.S. military, over in Russia right at the time of the Chernobyl explosion. And he said that, you know, they're just like, oh, holy shit, you know, Chernobyl exploded. And this is fucking bonkers. This is horrible. Like, people are going to die. People are getting poisoned from radiation. And little did they know that years later, in the late 90s, early 2000s, a lot of these guys who were in their, like, 40s, 50s, were having like severe heart problems. Some of them having heart problems in their 30s and their doctors were like, guys, these heart problems are more for people who are like late 50s, early 60s. What the fuck is going on? And they found out that they were downstream, so to speak, from Chernobyl. So some of the water sources they had uh, were actually low-key contaminated. Mm. And there was no way for them to prove it on a large scale to like ever get compensation for it. But... Yeah, he's just like, you know, there's a lot of my buddies who were having, like, bypasses in our 40s and shit just because, like, our hearts are just absolutely worthless. Mm. <laughs> you just sent me these AI photos. <laughs> Is that people spreading uh, radioactive powder on themselves? That's yep. horrifying. <laughs> that's, uh, that's cover photos right there, buddy. <laughs> nice. You're right, right. I know this wasn't a very spooky episode. We do appreciate you guys tuning in and, and listening and watching and everything. And um, I promise next time, with or without Corey, hopefully with, um, I've got a pretty bananas uh, alien abduction story to share. Um, Preston, I've got some speaking parts for you, buddy. Um, thankfully, they're all um, Caucasian accents. <laughs> so just it's what I do best. Just lay it on with that hillbilly accent. You'll do just fine. Yes, sir. I wanted to give Corey a chance to be on with us for that one because I want to hear his take on one of these stories, man. Because, again, he doesn't really subscribe to all the stuff like we do, but... <sighs> Anywho, if you guys are on the social medias, please, number one, like and subscribe on this YouTube, please. Uh, check us out on Instagram, PXL Paranormal. On Facebook, we are The Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. So please like, subscribe, follow us if you're on um, the Apple Podcast app. Please um, give us a rating and a review. That would be killer. Um, we did lose all of those old ratings and reviews we had previously whenever we changed over to the new um, the new feed and all that kind of stuff. So we'd appreciate a little support there. If you guys want to send us in an email, we would love to hear from you guys. Please email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. I think that's uh, easy enough to kind of remember. Pixelatedparanormal gmail.com. And we also have a Google voice number. If you want to call in, leave us a message, tell us a spooky tale, 913-662-3144. That's 913-662-3144. Give us a call, leave us a message. That'd be awesome. And presto, you know, since you're so savvy with this, we ought to have like a little like 1990s, you know, telecom little flasher there on the video that has our phone number i'll work on it for, that happen yeah i'll work on it for next time i'll do it for you sweet that sounds yeah. good man that sounds awesome what do you got buddy well i mean shit we're up to 247 subscribers on youtube which last nice. time we were at like 244 so we've we gained three we're making we're making momentum the, nice. the needle's moving baby not not quick yeah. but it, you know it's moving we'll take it 
So like Sean said, if yeah, you yeah. like this content, if you're watching us live tonight, uh, follow the directions in the bottom of the right-hand side of the screen where it says like and subscribe. Smash, smash, smash that like button and share it with all your friends <laughs> and, you know, keep it coming, baby. And then, look, folks, I know that sometimes out there you're growing a beard you're trying to be all manly and look all manly and you probably don't wash that shit and it probably doesn't smell great and you're probably growing meningitis in your beard just like uh, that two-day-old Chinese food and you're not doing yourself any favors <laughs> probably going to lose a finger in the process maybe a nose I don't know you know it's like leprosy all over but you know how to avoid all that Fucking go to Big Dobbs Beardbomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. And pick yourself up some scents like Bay Rum, Fresh, Citrus, Mint, Classic, and Sweet Tobacco. I actually have mint in this bad boy tonight. And I have mm-hmm. to say, uh, my face smells fresh. And uh, get it all, get it at Dobbs. I uh, I saved it for another episode, but a little tease. Um, Dobbs and I, along with Shayla and Hillary and their friend Tanya, um, spent an evening in Iowa um, at the Malvern Manor and did a little investigation there. So I'm kind of waiting on Dobbs to get back to me with some of his uh, audio to comb through and see if we got any of the same kind of uh, EVP action there. But on a later episode, I'll kind of share the story behind that as well and share any EVPs that we may have come across. So if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang at CD Trade Post, Pawnee, and Seneca. Until next time, folks, I'm going to raise this Beards of Science glass that our friend Mindy got us, oh, so many years ago, four or five years ago. She didn't get me that fucking glass. She, I don't have one. Well, she sent one in. <laughs> I remember we talked about it. I ended up yeah. just keeping it. Um, well. You know, you can borrow it if you want. We can trade off like. I'll raise my Yeti glass that says believe on it. So. Look at that. See, yeah. I mean, this could be the sisterhood of the traveling pint glass, and I can let you borrow this bad boy for a while if you want. That's fine. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Until next time, folks, I raise this glass and say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us who love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast that pixelated paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal your guide to the unusual and the strange.